welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have the artist and filmmaker Anna Epstein join us for a conversation about the monopolization of the legal cannabis industry. Back at every single intro. <laughs> Uh, Together, we talk about the red tape bureaucracy of licensing, the greed of rich white men, and how to stay positive while combating large systemic forms of oppression. It's so important to take a critical eye to these issues like the legalization of cannabis and not just take for face value that because something is legal means it's necessarily being done in an ethical manner. So I really hope y'all enjoy this conversation with Anna today. And thank you for tuning in every week to the podcast. It's growing and I love seeing the community that is being formed and all the amazing listeners that reach out and are thinking about these larger issues and questions within life. It means so much to me. So thank you so much and tune in because I have a lot of fun episodes planned for this podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You feeling about recording a podcast? Good. I've been doing a lot of podcasts and just trying to get out what's what's happening in different platforms one of the reasons why i reached out to you because i was like she interviewed glitter money and they're fucking dope and yes. like we we stand for a lot of the same shit and then i was like just trying to contact as many people as like i could to be like let's just talk about what's going on because it's important yeah. well whenever you're ready do you want to tell me what's going on yeah yeah oh god <laughs> i know hey you're the one reaching out uh, <laughs> Okay, well, um, so if you haven't been keeping up with what is going on in the cannabis industry in Illinois, and honestly, throughout the country, it's a hot fucking mess. And please educate yourself. Please go to uh, True Social Equity and Cannabis Instagram. We also have an Indiegogo attached to that, which has our two five-minute pieces, a 17-minute piece, and then updates as things progress with the licensing. So, you know, Pritzker announced that he was going to be opening up recreational cannabis licenses to citizens and specifically wanting to help the black and the brown community with generational wealth. And basically, two years after the licenses should have gone out, on the third day of a seven-day protest in front of a dispensary, they started throwing out licenses to people. So they gave out transportation licenses, infusion licenses, and grow licenses. And keep in mind, these licenses were supposed to have gone out two years ago. 
recreational became legal almost two years ago. And the only people that have licenses right now are huge multi-state operators. And they're making billions of dollars a month. Mm-hmm. They keep exceeding the amount of money that they're making. Lollapalooza just happened and they exceeded it once again. They've monopolized the whole industry and haven't let any small companies into the fold. So since they did recently give out these licenses, even though none of those companies are open, we're finding that these licenses didn't actually go to social equity people, people that were affected by the war on drugs, people that are living in disproportionately impacted areas. They went to some of the same and more multi-state operational owners and former politicians and former police and police regulators. And then they also, on the third day, when they were announcing all those other licenses, additionally, they gave some dates for these lotteries for dispensary licenses, because honestly, like the the dispensary license is going to be worth more than all those other licenses. Mm-hmm. My group of all women, my wife, who's Hawaiian Chinese, who if we got a fucking license, she'd be the first Hawaiian person to have a li- to ha- own a license for cannabis, mm-hmm. which is just ridiculous in itself. And then and then we have three partners from the South Side and one is a vet because you basically needed to have a veteran to get the most points to receive the license. So yeah, so we have a, a vet on our team and she's fucking dope. She's a family member of one of our other partners. Our, our group put all of our savings into applying. Mm. And we're basically shit out of luck. They did the two, the first two lotteries, which we were in. We had two chances in those lotteries, but there were other groups that paid upwards of application fees for 50. We all know how lotteries work. If you have 50 right. versus two, who's going to win? And the people that can pay $2,500 per application and can put in 50 applications, are they mm-hmm. true social equity? Right. I would say no. It's- right. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. So I'm excited. Thank you for being here. I think maybe one of the first places to start is just even for the listener, you're talking about licenses, but what do you mean by that? What is that? I mean, you mentioned the three different types. Could you just say more about what you're actually trying to get? Yeah. They regulated the amount of business licenses that they're allowing for transportation. So a transportation license is you can pick up from a grow and you can bring it to a dispensary. So that's like a completely, that's a license that you need. You can't transport anything without that license. You need a grow license, obviously, to grow weed. When you have that grow license, you can grow it and you can manufacture it. So you can also make products with it. There's also a infusion license, which means that you, you can buy product from a grower, transport it to your location with whoever is legal to transport it. And then you can infuse and make food, make tinctures, make vapes, whatever, whatever. So you need a license for that. And then you also have to pay a transporter to transport that product to a dispensary. So then you need a dispensary license. Mm. Each of these licenses are are $2,500 to apply for. Just apply for. These licenses were so extensive that you needed a team of lawyers to even apply because it was like writing a dissertation. Uh, The lawyers told us that it was the hardest thing that they had ever done. And we have three people on our team with master's degrees plus five lawyers. The application was not for social equity people Mm. from the start. So it's a hot mess. 
So, okay. So I was angry about it. I was angry that they announced that 21 companies out of the 4,000 companies that applied were going to get 75 licenses. We're going to be in a lottery for 75 licenses. And so we got fucking pissed a year and a half, two years ago, and we protested. And so Pritzker just put a hold on everything. And this is where we're at. So we don't have a hold anymore, but we have a whole bunch of lawsuits happening because people are pissed about the lottery was a hot mess. They they, it wasn't transparent at all. It happened like two and a half weeks ago. And it could have been it was run by Illinois Lottery. And it could have been run the exact same way that they do the regular Illinois Lottery, which is on TV. You can see who wins as it happens. But instead, they did it secretly and with closed doors and Hmm. the people that were chosen from what i've been told were handpicked it wasn't a lottery it was a rigged lottery okay one where is that information coming from and yeah what are we doing to bring this i guess is what we're doing to bring awareness i mean this you said this was two weeks ago this is very recent yeah what was it supposed to be like what were you told the lottery was going to be like and the lawsuits that you mentioned were those even before it happened because they wanted to have more licenses available? No, there's a lawsuit that was just announced this morning. That And okay. to be honest, I haven't been keeping up with the, the lawsuit stuff because, in my opinion, it's just like privileged people that can sue, you know, like yeah, a true social yeah. equity person can't can't sue about all this. Right, right. If it was up to me, so I started this true social equity and cannabis page on Instagram because I was I was pissed and I needed yeah. an outlet and I'm an artist. So I started documenting amazing. and I realized that this the news wasn't really covering what needed to cover so to, to be covered. So if it was going to be covered in a way that they couldn't erase history like they so mm. often do. Mm-hmm. I was going to have to document it and start putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah. The page has really grown. Like people from out of state contact me about their state basically trying to do the same bullshit. Yeah. We, we've done protests almost every single week for two years. We've been protesting in front of the governor's mansion. We've been protesting downtown Chicago. We've been protesting in front of multiple different dispensaries. I worked with a group, ECCSC Cons for Community and Social Change. They didn't even apply for licenses because they're formally incarcerated and they actually couldn't apply. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just, their view is, you know, like we were the people that were incarcerated for cannabis. Why didn't we get the first shot in these licenses, which is totally valid. Right. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm this little white girl from originally from Texas. I've been in Chicago for 18 years, but I've been out, I'm out there like with all these awesome black men that were incarcerated for <laughs> multiple years being like, yeah. yeah, fuck yeah. These guys are right. Give them fucking licenses and then give my group a license. I, it's just, yeah. Ugh. But what happened when the mm-hmm. licenses came out is people got quiet because some of the people that were organizing these things got licenses. Like Ricky Hinden, who's a former alderman and state rep who I had been working with, he had been doing press conferences about all this and he got a license. So he doesn't want to talk anymore. And the uh, the group ECCSC, they're now discussing getting their support your local weed man into the MSO's locations. So they are kind of quiet now. What does that mean? So they're basically hooking up, in my opinion, mm-hmm. with the monsters. 
Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. They like tried to explain it in a way of like, I have my stuff together. Like whatever happens, I got my own shit that I got going on, but they are a community that has nothing. And so if they're going to be given an opportunity to work with these MSOs and get their brand out there, they're going to do it. I kind of think that's selling out, but I also get where they're coming from. I, I guess I don't know the term MSO. Mul- multi, multi-state operator. Okay. And yeah, what? They're not only, they not only have multiple locations in Illinois, but they also oh. are throughout the country. Okay. Within cannabis. So these are large corporations. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Piecing together now what you're saying, how this could be a sellout. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But potentially they could make millions of dollars and then do good for their community. But you know, does it ever happen that way? In my opinion, no. Right. They take ownership, you lose the power, right? Which is, I mean, you're asking for a fundamentally different structure. And I think, you know, what you're asking for, or I think what most people are asking for in the space is equity and not necessarily just equality. Right. I mean, why isn't that? I'm I'm also a massage therapist, right? Why couldn't I sell cannabis products to my massage clients why like why can't it be a mom and pop type of situation why does it Mm -hmm. have to be huge companies that are right taking over like they don't know what they're doing these companies as we see from all the recalls from mold if you if you cure your product correctly you will not have mold issues that is just a given and there's supposed to be regulators that are regulating mold and other types of issues. And still, there was a recall. So mm-hmm. we see that regulation, the way that it is, doesn't work. We see that the multi-state operators, these huge conglomerates that basically own all of the licenses, don't know what they're doing because they're hiring people that are probably growers of fruits or vegetables mm-hmm. as opposed to flour. Cannabis is very different. And all of the people mm-hmm. that have been growing flour for 20-something years, they've screwed over and they don't want to work with multi-state operators because they mm-hmm. treat them like shit. So the first people that should be getting these licenses are those growers because they know what they're doing. Right. And then people that have been in this business who have been educating the public and customers before it was legal, all those people should be getting licenses and the people that were incarcerated for cannabis. Right. Exactly. I think someone would then ask, why is this not happening? Because of greed and money. And rich white men, basically. Basically, rich white men own all of the licenses and they don't like sharing. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, that's a simple of the answer right here. I know in other states, specifically California, they had tried to, like, limit the amount of land that you could have as a grower to one acre to allow the smaller, you know, for the licensure to allow the smaller companies to get up to speed with some of the bigger companies before coming in. But apparently that was shut down due to large amounts of lobbying and millions of dollars that completely ruined that. And I mean, when someone asks, you know, why is this happening? Lobbying. Exactly. Big companies with tons of money are preventing equity from happening. Yep, exactly. That's exactly. I, we were doing a seven-day protest in front of Leaf and people kept asking like, well, why, why are you in front of this dispensary? Why are you like, why are you mad at them? And I'm like, because they put multi millions of dollars into lobbying to make sure Mm. that us small business owners don't get, get the licenses. 
They also lobbied to not allow home grow. They don't want people to even grow in their homes or in their backyards because they just want their option to be the only option. That's not what Hmm. weed is here for. Like this is a this is a plant that could change the world and be a positive thing for everyone. This is not meant for corporations. It's just not. Right. Could you tell me for listeners who are curious, you know, if they're going to their local dispensary, how they could find out if, you know, where they're going to had supported these lobbyist movements? How do people get informed and make conscious decisions when they're trying to purchase cannabis? Well, so the ex-cons for community and social change, their thing is support your local weed man. I like to say support your local weed man or woman because yeah, or person, you know could be a trans person support your local drug dealer well let me address that because i actually hate the word i hate when people consider cannabis to be drugs Ooh, okay yeah tell me i don't consider it to be a drug at all i don't like drugs i don't even like painkillers like ibuprofen or tylenol or whatever like i just use weed as my form of anti-inflammatory anxiety depression pain uh like i have an inflammatory disease me too hi get it (laughs) yeah woo (laughs) (laughs) so i don't like using the word drug because like my wife is a former addict Mm. And she's California sober. That means, mm-hmm. yeah, smoke weed. <laughs> yeah, know, nothing else but weed. The word drug, that connotation is meant for like cocaine and heroin and crack and those type of hardcore drugs that are highly addictive that have no benefit to them. Maybe there's some benefit to like, I personally can't think of any benefit. <laughs> Maybe someone who's addicted to opioid, opioids would think there was a benefit. But Have you read the book Drug Use for Grownups? No. What is that? Dr. Hart talks about how he uses heroin on a daily basis. Or not daily, maybe, but he's, you know, a professor, huge intellectual in the space, and talks about how we need to destigmatize all of it. So even when you say hardcore drugs, I even like yes i totally get the stigma and then the other half of me is like yes and we need to destigmatize all of them and right and like that's not necessarily a conversation for this space but at the same time do you drink coffee i actually don't drink coffee oh you got that but like okay so like yeah if we started recognizing like oh here's my morning cup of drug here's my my coffee every day it's like sure then call weed a drug if if you consider sugar exactly right caffeine a drug then yes (laughs) absolutely weed is a drug but i don't consider those drugs for sure i think one way we could say is to medicine you know exactly support your local medicine dealer (laughs) yeah i say support your local healer i mean i feel like cannabis If you're, yes. if you're in cannabis, you're you're trying to help people. Hopefully, that's 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 the reason why I got into cannabis 15 years ago is because I wanted to help people. Maybe you'll laugh then when I was trying to convince or explain to the lesbian bishop that I recorded with how cannabis is connecting me to God, and she's just like, "What?" So I was like, Other people will understand. <laughs> uh, she obviously has never tried it before because she would feel the same way. I mean, yeah. if you believe in a higher power, like you will get there. If you are a little high. Exactly. That's what I said. So thank you for validating that for me. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) How did you get into this space? I have to ask. I, you know, I'm an artist. So I just like I struggle with depression and anxiety. And in college, when I was a sophomore, I was I was really like not in an emotionally great place. I wasn't happy with the school I was at. I hadn't come out yet. 
I was using cannabis to to feel better. Mm. I was smoking like every weekend, all weekend, all weekend. I was in art school, so I was busy all the time during the week. So I couldn't really smoke during the week. You know, so I was so exhausted. I didn't need to smoke it to sleep. But the weekends, I just kind of like do my homework and listen to Nine Inch Nails and get high. And I just... That was my chill freedom. And I kind of like started to find myself more. I started to like really figure out like what was making me happy and what was not making me happy. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated, I had to figure out something to do that that was going to be sustainable. And so I I got into cannabis and that was going to be sustainable. I'm also a massage therapist. So I got into massage therapy um, soon after that. So I just like, you know, I really like helping other people heal and find their happiness and help them the way that cannabis has helped me and, and continues to help me. I just want other people to understand how that works, you know, because when you're new to it, especially, um, you don't know how many milligrams you need to partake, like you don't mm-hmm. know what strains you should be using. If you eat too many milligrams, you're going to freak out and never want to eat them again. And that's not the point. If you use a strain that you, you know, if you're a super hyper person and you smoke sativa, you're going to have an anxiety attack. You got to know which, what is going to be yeah. best for you. And you need someone who's experienced in exploring that to help with that. It's true. I would love to hear more specifically about how you, how weed helped you heal. You know, I'm a super, oh uh, God, how do I say this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. I come from a family that are all workaholics. And on my mom's side, we have anxiety. On my dad's side, we have major depression and suicidal thoughts. Mm. And I also, when I was 11, was diagnosed with an inflammatory disease that makes me have like, it's called hydradenitis. And it it makes me have like huge boils under my arms and in my groin and my under my breasts sometimes. Mm. So, and they like open up and sorry that y'all, this might be TMI. (laughs) (laughs) tell us uh but they like open up and like it's all pussy and like so Mm -hmm. basically i'm like walking around with open wounds for for weeks to years um so when you're when you're dealing with like pain like that yeah your emotions are just heightened Mm -hmm. (laughs) with weed like when you smoke a lot of the time your your emotions can heighten even more but at least For me, at least, I was, instead of disassociating all the time, I was connecting more. Mm. I think I really didn't realize for a long time how much I disassociated from myself. So the smoking weed and the the eating it, like, just made me start to feel myself more. I'm also an Aquarius, so I'm very much, like, up in the air all the time. I, like, live in the sky, and I I have large dreams, and I I just am everywhere all the time in my head. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. weed helps me ground and Mm -hmm. acknowledge that I can, like, just be in the moment and be my true self and, and explore what that is and not care about the future or the past. Because we got to we got to stay in the now or we're just like constantly not. I don't know. I just I'm I if I don't stay in the now, then um, I'm just not in a good place. (laughs) I feel that I resonate with you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's interesting though because frequently the narrative around drug use, right, or cannabis, weed, whatever, sometimes people will say, oh, you're using that to dissociate. Mm -hmm. So I, I really love this narrative and I would love to even hear more about that switch for how you came to be more connected because of taking, smoking, whatever your form of ingesting weed was. Well, and it, I have to be real. It's not just weed because weed like didn't fix my my inflammatory disease. I'm 37 now, so I've had this disease since I was 11. And I just in the last three years discovered that what I eat has a tremendous effect on my inflammatory disease. And so, you know, it's not just cannabis. It, it's what you partake, what you put in your body in general, you know? So I changed my lifestyle completely. I, I'm, and it took a lot of like transition, but it's been, it's been three years now and I have, my outbreaks went from, I would have outbreaks every like few days and they would stay open between like three, three months to a year. So now I have outbreaks maybe once a month and they only last a week and a half at the most. So that I don't contribute that only to cannabis. That's like majorly what I eat. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah, that and I'm sure stress, mental health typically is very correlated with these things too. Absolutely. Yeah. I try to stay chill. It's hard when you're dealing with the cannabis mm -hmm. industry bullshit. <laughs> Tell me about that. How do you keep your own sense of positivity knowing, you know, the large forces that you're up against? You know, it was really scary at first. I didn't put myself, I didn't put my face out there for a long time. I just recently put my, my face out there connected to the page because I mean, these guys, they're huge corporations, you know, there's stories about people being crazy. It's Illinois. So it's also mafia territory. But I just couldn't not say anything anymore. I couldn't be silent. I had to speak about what was going on. Because the only people that were out there saying anything were the black community. And I like fucking dope for them, but my perspective is different than theirs and people need to know that too. I, I just, I just can't be silent anymore. I just can't, I just can't, I can't bite my tongue. Like it was, I was having panic attacks, not talking about it. So I'm also, mm. I'm, I'm such a TMI person anyway, that it was always hard to not talk about it, but now it's like, I see where the industry is going and where it basically is or what they're trying to push still. And it's not okay. It's not fucking okay. A lot of people aren't okay with it, not just me. And even though they're still afraid to talk, I'm not anymore. I've already put myself out there. I'm not going to go back into a corner. I'm not going to be um, manipulated to other people's advantages. People use me. They, they try to use me for like clout for the page and I, I let it happen, but I'm just putting out there what they say. Like the page is, it represents everyone, everyone that's not corporations, fuck corporations. I'm talking about like <laughs> everyone as in right. the people, <laughs> Uh huh. you know, I, I see the shade. I'm not aligned with anyone on the page. I am just reporting what they say. What is the shade that you're getting? I see the shade in the sense that it's almost like people try to, how do I say this? Oh, God, how do I say this? 
it's almost like because people don't communicate with each other, they try to communicate with me and then have me spread certain things. The shade is like, this isn't real what you're saying to me. You're just saying what you think I want to hear. You don't actually believe what you're saying. Could you provide context? I'm just trying to understand what you're like, what you're saying, what the know, page is, and then yeah, how your relation is to it. I I describe the page as it's a support page. Okay. So I support any organizations that are doing any protesting, any organizations that are trying to get the word out about cannabis related stuff in Illinois that is re- related to licenses. I'm really just trying to cover the things that people want to say, but are afraid to say. But because I'm there with them and asking them the questions and agreeing with them, they feel comfortable saying it to me, which is dope. And then I'm kind of like lifting that up and being like, yes, you're not the only one that feels this way. See all these people that like your post and are commenting like they agree with you. We just got to do more of that. You got to do more supporting each other. This has turned into a race thing. I mean, everything always turns into a fucking race thing, which is dumb because we're we're in this together. We need to not have it be about race. In what way has it become a race thing? Because I, I mean, this definitely is a big race thing, right? Yeah, I mean, Pritzker kind of made it into a race thing when he said like he wanted to have the black and the brown community have generational wealth. So he made it a race thing. And I kind of feel like he just did that to use the black community to get their vote because he obviously won. He was like walking with Black Lives Matter and, you know, doing the whole campaign thing and it worked. But it's not a race thing because not because it doesn't matter what race you are. The war on drugs affected you regardless of your race. Yes, more black and brown people were affected and were in jail. Absolutely. But when you make it into a race thing, it makes us all divide. And that's what, unfortunately, that's what it seems like the government officials want us to be divided. Because if we're divided, then there's less of us working together for what's right. Could you say more on how it being a race-related issue is causing divide? Because I think I just want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, right? Yeah. Because I would hear that, yes, it is a huge race issue. We have, you know, four times more likely to be incarcerated if you're a person of color, you know, with a drug offense. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the difference between equality and equity and giving back to communities that have been disproportionately hurt at a greater extent then us as white people is a race thing. And I think that that should bring us together. So when you say it is dividing us, I'm curious, where is that coming from? Because when it's only black people at the press conference, white people feel like they're not included. Like Latino people don't feel like they're included. Hawaiian people don't feel like they're included. And absolutely, it, it is a race thing. But like my wife tells me this story about... Her mom, who was Hawaiian, she came to the States back when she was like in her 20s and she tried to use the restroom and they wouldn't let her because they thought of her as a black person. She's a person of color. She's Hawaiian. You know, she was clumped into that category. But when you're having um, press conferences and they're all talking about black people and black people and black people and they're not including Hawaiian people, Native American people, Asian people. That's where it gets divided. I think this is related 
I think the reason why that was happening is because Ricky Hinden, who uh, brought up before who got the license. Yeah, he is a former politician. And like, he's old school, you know, he's almost 70. So like back in the day, when he was growing up, like the whole thing was like, I mean, it still is like, my my people, my black people, totally. And it was all about that. And he was focusing on that at the press conferences. But I feel like it was a disservice to all of the applicants because not all the applicants were black people. And if he had maybe tried to encompass more of the people that had applied, then we would be just be a stronger group of people saying that what was going on, the lack of transparency in this whole process was wrong. It's it's tough. It's tough because like some people are like, it's absolutely a race thing. Other people, it's like, it's not a race thing. I just, and I hear so many different opinions because I interview so many different people. Something that I've also been trying to bring up in the rhetoric is what about women? Where are all sure. the women with these licenses? Sure, definitely. I mean, I think it's, it's probably yes to both, right? It's it's all of these things all at the same time. And I think when you look at, you know, the history of the war on drugs, it definitely targeted Black and Latinos the most. It should be both of those people in that space, right? But I mean, yeah. there's definitely, without a doubt, we're both white women here and that there is equity that needs to be created for Black and Latino communities. And so how can we do that and provide space for minority cultures of others, you know, women, queer, Hawaiian, all of these spaces. So I would say it's yes, it's yes to all of that, right? How do we do both? In an ideal world, we would be providing space for all of these people and equity. And it's rather unfortunate to hear from someone in the space that that's not happening. Yeah. I mean, it's none of the people that should be getting licenses are getting right yeah. right let's <laughs> let's talk about the facts here it's what 99 percent owned by white men let's even say straight rich white men yeah yeah yeah, yeah we can make that yeah yes <laughs> exactly and that's the problem right yes. like that is the big that is who we're really after is the fact that white men have been discriminating against people of color and controlling the wealth for years and it's still happening that's the yeah. problem well and i keep trying to say rich white yes. men yes yes exactly because there's also a huge amount of white men that are that get very upset when they're called out and they're like i don't have any money that's not me so no it's not y'all it's the rich ones <laughs> that don't care. Exactly. And then we're all complicit in it, though, when we are supporting these companies, when we are not actively fighting and yeah. protesting and doing things to support the change, though. So, like, yes, it is you, white male, that doesn't have the money. It is still you if you go to a dispensary. Yes. Yes, yes it is. Like, Anyone who's going to dispensaries right now is perpetuating racism, sexism, homophobia, all of the, the isms that just stop. Just stop doing that. All right. I think a lot of liberal people probably have just checked their minds out at, oh, we got cannabis legalized. Great. Awesome. I can now just go down to a store. Absolutely. They totally have. That's that everyone's like, weed is legal. Woo. And then they don't realize who they're buying it from. Exactly. Which is privilege. Yes. And if you're not checking that, you're complicit. Right. Exactly. And even just the amount of people that have felony charges from drug possession that are now not able to vote. I mean, this is a whole larger thing of controlling, you know, people and their voice and their power in our democratic system. Yeah, they uh, they tried to claim that, they, you know, they're the expungement thing. 
you know, that's what they're trying to say. Oh, we're giving everyone expungement. Expungements don't do shit for um, the dealer that was that was selling weed on the street because they also had a gun charge because they had to protect their shit while they were selling weed on the street. Expungement of cannabis, and it had to have been a certain amount of cannabis, a smaller amount. It doesn't do shit. It really doesn't do... And this is me speaking from hanging out with a whole bunch of formerly incarcerated people. Like, they're like, it doesn't do anything for us. So, you know, the whole rhetoric that is happening around that is just bullshit. It's just news Mm. that is not real. (laughs) The reason why there's carjackings and people being held up in our neighborhood, I mean, you and I know there's a lot of there's a lot of shootings and and gun violence. And, you know, my friend down the street was um, held up at gunpoint for groceries a few weeks ago. You know, like not going to give me anxiety over here. Jesus. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Be aware. Just be aware. I mean, they need need jobs, you know, like that's the reason why they're out causing havoc is because they need jobs and they can't get any because not only because of their incarceration, but also the, the lack of jobs that are out there and the, and the jobs that are out there. A lot of them are like working for corporations and doing BS work. No, like people want jobs that are saving the world. They don't want to be slinging groceries. I don't know. Like a lot of the guys that I'm, that I was working with, they do work for um, nonprofits that are, they basically go out into the streets and try to prevent violence. That's like what they do. That's what they want to do. They're saying like, Hey, I was, I was out there as a teenager causing violence and destruction. And I know that was wrong and I've changed. I want to make that perpetual cycle change. I want to fix that. So then could you speak more on what your purpose and mission is behind the documentary? I think originally I just started just documenting to get the word out to the people as it was happening. At this point, I think the mission is for the larger piece is to have a larger audience understand what's truly going on within the space of cannabis and how government and corporations are basically butt buddies and fucking over the people. Right. And unless we do something about it, which the way that we do something about it is we don't give them our money and we don't vote in the same people that did this bullshit. I set the date to get it done for Sundance, which is due middle of September, because this is the first documentary that I've ever made. And I honestly thought it was going to be done in six months. And it's been almost two years. And I just needed to set a date to get it done. (laughs) Yeah. The documentary is not about me. I'm actually barely in it at all. It's about all of the people and what everyone went through in the last two years with this mess. And if I can like deter people from voting for Pritzker again, if I can deter people from buying at their at the dispensary, or at least doing research about the dispensary that they're going to go to first, and the products that they're going to buy first before going, like at least I've done that. I know that the page has helped people understand that they need to get on their state early on because there's a lot of states that are claiming this social equity program 
And same like Illinois, they claimed we Illinois claimed that we were going to have the best social equity in the country. And then this bullshit happened. So like, so I think the page is making people understand that you can't believe what the politicians are going to say. You have to make them walk the walk because you can't believe the talk. Me and some other people that actually still care <laughs> about the movement. Um, we're going to be doing a rally probably at the end of the month. And just talking about the fucking lack of transparency with this whole goddamn thing. Am I allowed to curse? I forgot to ask Oh my God, curse whenever (laughs) you want. There's no rules on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I just, uh, we just got to go in the fucking street. The the thing about it too is COVID. People who were so afraid to leave their house and still are because of COVID. I think that there would have been way more people out there with us if COVID hadn't have happened. And hopefully more people will join us out on the streets. There's lots of support online. I mean, that's great. The online support is dope, but people showing up too is important. I mean, that's a positive outlook. And I appreciate your positivity because my half of me would say, you know, even if COVID wasn't a thing, the question is, do people care? Yeah. It's really easy to like a post, comment on a post, but will people actually show up? Will people actually do you know the work to research the companies the politicians all these other pieces when it doesn't seem to be directly affecting them when they can just go and buy an edible at a shop and they're happy now there's a lot of privilege here that needs i feel like needs to be really shook to get people to move yes 100 percent. you know what i i am positive i am a positive person yeah, you're positive i like people you know yeah <laughs> um so so from what I found with the like seven day protests that we did, yeah. once you talk to people and make them understand, then they care, or at least they 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 seem to care. Um, right. <laughs> so the process of caring. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, if they'll. The, the thing is, they do care, and if you give them another option, then they take that. You got to give them the other option because people need their their medicine. You know, I get that. You know, like some people, some people are walking in there, like with having literally having anxiety attacks at the moment and they needed their medicine. And I said, I know why you need your medicine. Don't go buy it in there. Here's a free 20 milligram cookie for you. Just take it. Take your medicine. You have another option now. You don't need to go here. So are you supplying people with connections? I mean, you got to, right? Right. (laughs) Okay, but yeah, I mean, that's the question. I mean, you're talking about people need to choose the other option. So the other option is finding your local medicine person. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, like, can we say that on the podcast? It's illegal, right? Um, I mean, like, it's legal. It's, like, illegal to have sex with your partner in some states. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I recognize this. I'm like, yeah, can I recommend people go find someone? But I mean, yes, right? Exactly. I mean, is it, you know, the ethical thing to buy something legally at a company that is unethically pulling away from other communities, right? That's the big ethical question. I would say that's not ethical. So given the structure that we have, the ethical decision is to not support that, which means... Supporting someone that might not have a license. Yes. Because licenses are fucking, as we've, as we're telling you, are fucking impossible to get. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And historically, 
so many things have been quote unquote illegal that have been the right things when you look at the history of our government, right? Exactly. Racial marriages, homosexuality. I mean, we could just Slavery. go on and on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's go on the whole list of how many things the government said was wrong or right. Right. Exactly. And I think this is a very important message to be getting out to people that, you know, legal cannabis is not ethical currently. Not in Illinois. Anywhere. Yeah. Unethical uh, laws are meant to be broken. Mm. Oh, hell yeah. Because, you know, we all we know what is right and wrong. And the rules that the government gives us are not necessarily right or wrong. They're just based on trying to make the government money to sustain whatever they got fucking going. They're bullshit. And I think, you know, some people listening to this might say, oh, I don't want to risk doing an illegal activity. I'm just going to go to the cannabis shop and do that. And I, if that is the thought that someone has while listening to this, I just want to say, check your privilege. Because that's a lot of privilege. That is a lot of privilege that you as a person can just go and do that and ignore the effects that you are causing for minority communities by doing that. Yeah. And people are still incarcerated for cannabis right now. So while you're able to go buy your $20 joint down the street, they're incarcerated for having a bag on them. I was protesting with someone who missed the birth of his child because he was incarcerated for cannabis for three years because he also had other charges before that. And so they just, you know, flopped it on there. I mean, there's also the option to grow yourself. Sounds complicated, not gonna lie. It's not actually that complicated. It's a it's a weed. (laughs) I mean it does need some fanciness like startup cost and you know it, it does take something but it's also a weed like you could you could also just grow it and it won't be like amazing but it'll still be weed and you can just do that from seeds that are left in your bud exactly which if you're getting fucking seeds in your bud at the the dispensary like no that that should not be happening they obviously don't know what they're doing i had someone gift me some flour from the dispensary once and i was like why would you give me this okay fine i'll try it and it was shit it was shit weed really yes Hmm. and i i know i know someone who used to be a grower at cresco which is one of the largest growers in illinois and he sent me pictures of the mold and the and the and the bug infestation and it's disgusting are there documentaries pulling that data footage out are you gonna have that i'm gonna try to put those photos in the documentary yeah i'm actually interviewing him and his wife one of the many problems of this situation is seeing, yeah, what are they doing in those spaces and is it safe at that? I mean, God, this is so multifaceted that you could pick apart different layers that are just problem after problem. So I just want to commend you for sticking with the fight for two years and even, you know, on until September and onward. Yeah. Well, and as soon as I get my license, which is going to fucking happen at some point better goddamn happen but as soon as i get my license i will be fighting within the inside to change all these bullshit regulation things that are going on because i get the companies complaining right now on like oh we can't make money because blah 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 the reason why they can't make money is because they're expanding too fast that's why they can't make money but the regulations that the government has on everything is a bunch of bullshit and is deterring the possibility for small business owners to be successful. I mean, that's also 
the lobbyists are, for, are from these corporations are making that happen. But that's because they don't understand how the, how the industry should go. The thing is, there was a fucking industry that was going on before the quote unquote industry became legal. And it was working perfectly fine. So they should have just stuck with that. And they should have taxed it the way that it was and everything would have been fucking dandy and all of the legacy market people would be in like they should be and it would it would have been so much smoother if it, if everything just was realize what it is and that it's working tax the fucker appropriately be done with it right i mean and decriminalize all of it in that joint process oh yeah allow- of course, right? No, I think you mean yeah. So I'm just like adding these pieces. Yeah. So if we decriminalized it, you know, sponging all of the records truly, creating a whole different future, we would have had a whole different society where small businesses and people that were most impacted by this could have been a part of the game. But the reality is that's just not a part of the legal, on. a part of the legal game. Let's. We all know they're already part of the game. <laughs> yes, and that's why this is such a huge problem and it's just outstanding to me that the communities that have been so disproportionately affected by this are still not finding generational wealth or anything in this change it's just further perpetuating huge disparities between racial wealth yeah absolutely and the new war on drugs is that they're spending like millions of dollars trying to find illegal weed in CBD grows, which is ridiculous because you have to go in to a grow and then like test each plant to determine if it's CBD considered CBD or not considered CBD. And then they like destroy plants that are and you can't really control that until you cut it down. And the government doesn't actually know how that all works. So how the why are they just trying to make a new war on drugs and wasting taxpayers money by by doing all of this it's i mean you know why because we have a prison industrial complex that literally makes business and tons of money off of people being in jail oh girl don't get me started on that no i know but but, right i mean this is why absolutely this is okay. So back what in the 30s, the the original war on drugs started because we took away prohibition and there was tons of people that were in the prohibition of alcohol game. And so when you take that away, oh, we're going to now focus on the war on drugs, specifically with immigrant and black and brown communities. So we redirected all of that, you know, Nick's in the 70s. And now here we are, even as weed is being legalized. Now we're still pushing for it because that's literally how tons of people have money. Yep. And all of the industrial complexes are corporations. That's the fucking key here. Corporations are horrible. (laughs) We have to make them do better. And the way to make them do better is to not financially support them. And I'm sorry to say, y'all, that's Amazon too. Walmart. Fuck Walmart. Don't ever go to Walmart, y'all. Like, it's so many places that I'm sure that you go to on a regular basis. And, you know, my wife loves going online shopping and she buys from Amazon and I yell at her every time. I'm like, we could have got that at the fucking dollar store across the street. I'm sorry. Like, no, no more Amazon. (laughs) People have been saying that and then I've been hearing back, but there's no ethical consumption in capitalism. Have you heard this yet? Okay. 
yeah, I've been I've been hearing a lot of people say, oh, but it's Illinois. You should have expected that. Yeah. My response is just because things are horrible doesn't mean that you shouldn't speak out and acknowledge that they're fucking horrible and that we need to do better. Right. And that you have the privilege to still do that. Right. Anyone that says that kind of bullshit to me, most of the time it's a white man. Most of the time. (laughs) It was a white man that said it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking white men. Check. (laughs) Okay. My my dad is a white man. Like I love white I love certain white men. Like, but yeah. Check your privilege. Like and don't say dumb shit. I'm sorry. Like, don't say that dumb shit to me because I will call you out and I will definitely judge you even though I love people. (laughs) I love your feistiness. Gotta smoke soon. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I need to calm down. (laughs) Weed keeps me peaceful. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You don't want to see me sober. I definitely would cut a bitch if I did not have weed. (laughs) Like, I... I, And, oh, that's the other thing, too. The disassociation. I realized that I... I have to be filming at um, protests because that's my way of disassociating from the situation. Because if I wasn't filming, I would be like, I would be going red. I I would just be saying all this kind of shit. Like, I would be so angry. Filming is a way for me to chill. (laughs) Which is beautiful. And I'm so glad that you have that. I think it's such an important thing that when you are fighting against these larger, huge, huge social systemic problems to keep your self-care and for you that's being behind the camera at the scene and you know i encourage everybody to find that level of connection to what brings them peace because you are fighting against large systems and be kind to yourself take rest you know it's a you don't have to fight every day be kind absolutely you can't truly help other people unless you've helped yourself Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, for some people like us, it's smoking weed. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe it's journaling. You know, whatever that is for you that allows you to show up in the space and help people, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I do ask everybody on the show is, and I, I know we talked about a lot of different things, but what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Oh, God. You know, I think it's normal to not be okay sometimes. And I think we judge ourselves a lot when we're not feeling great. And I think we often forget that all of us get into that kind of state. And to remember that because we all get there, it it goes away. Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I'm with you. Um- <laughs> What is one thing that you wish people understood was more normal? And from what I hear that you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, now I'm conceptualizing this into my own experience. Growth is not always linear. And especially with mental health, it's a journey, right? That sounds like woo-woo, and it is. (laughs) But, right? (laughs) The thing is, you know, there are going to be days where you feel like you're good. You got this. And then the next day you feel like everyone hates you. And yeah. nothing's going wrong and the world is falling apart. And that's normal. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I know. But I think it deserves it's a space hard question. to talk about. Well, for sure, which is why I love it. I know. And I never give it to people in the email pre beforehand. So I always love the like just like raw answers I get on here. 
But I think with me personally, just the last couple of weeks, I had definitely had a lot of times where I was feeling very anxious about everything. And I was so frustrated with myself. I was like, I'm doing everything. Like I'm, everything's going well. I have great relationships. The podcast, like what's going on? I was so frustrated and just trying to remember that that's normal. Yeah. And I don't like that it's normal, but it is. This is the human existence, right? Exactly. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And right. I really cling I really cling to that when I got my diagnosis for an autoimmune disease. And I think it's even par- like very related just to our day-to-day of, you know, pain is normal. There are days you're going to feel sad, but choosing to stay there and suffer in that state is a choice. Absolutely. Yes, so yeah. much. You know, I used to feel like I were I was my emotions. Oh, and yeah. to let them go, I was losing myself. And once I realized, no, I'm not my emotions. I am. Oh my God, I can yeah. choose to to not have these emotions um, once I'm ready to let them go. Because sometimes you you want to live in it, and you yeah. know, I'm an actor too, a former. I haven't acted in a while, but like you know, sometimes you get in the like I want to feel my emotions, and that's perfectly fine. But like acknowledging, yes, that it's a choice that you're staying there. And that you can move on. Exactly. And then it's okay to have those. It's important to allow, right? Like, yeah, allow space. You're, you know, going through a breakup. Whatever is going on in your life, allow space for the grieving. Just don't stay there. Yeah. I think that's the biggest piece is we are constantly going to keep moving and evolving. And it really is this up and down wave-like mentality of life that we just need to get comfortable with. And I think once you realize that movement and power you do have to choose which mental states you focus on, yep. wow, a lot of growth. I feel like that's the biggest life lesson I'm trying to lean into. That's dope. That's dope. <sighs> it's so hard, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, before I, I changed my eating lifestyle, and I don't like to say diet. I hate that word. I just say lifestyle. Before I changed my lifestyle, my emotions were so up and down and up and down and up and down. I, could, I couldn't. I, I just felt like I was just a ball of emotions all the time. And the eating stuff has had really, really helped that. I'm way more evened out. I just... Yes, I think people really underestimate how important the food is. Because at the end of the day, everything that we're experiencing is from something we've ingested. Absolutely. And that's affecting our body and how we regulate, whether that be food, drugs, whatever you want to call it. Everything we're taking in is directly affecting our neural capacities. And so, yes, makes a ton of sense. A sugar spike would change your mood. And we know that, but people forget to think about how what they're eating is truly affecting them all the time. Absolutely. All the time, myself included. Yeah. I mean, my emotional state went from being like at a 65 to a 95. Like, I feel like 95% better. I think so. The crazy. It's not crazy. This is super real. But, I, you know, given my inflammation and where I'm at and I haven't figured out my diet stuff, I hear you saying this and I'm personally thinking like I should be doing this. I should invest the time to figure this out. But then the other half of me is like I have so much going on. I don't have time to do this, blah, blah, blah. And like I feel like there's frequently these things that I know are good for me and I ignore them and I feel like that's the human condition. Like I know yoga or moving my body in some way will make me feel better and I'll just be like, no, I don't want to do it. And um, even hearing you say this, I'm like, fuck, I should be doing this too. And I think it's just so important to recognize that doing that, and this is me talking to myself, is <laughs> prioritizing 
our well-being in the long run. The time spent investing in finding foods that do make you feel good and make you feel able to function, that is all investing in ourselves. And no one else is going to do that work for you. Absolutely. Yes. Do you want to plug socials for where people can find you and your documentary and learn more? Find True Social Equity and Cannabis on Instagram. We also have a website that is True Social Equity and Cannabis in cannabis. I know this is super fucking long, y'all. Super true social equity in cannabis. What is it? GoDaddySites.com. <laughs> Just go to the Instagram. There'll be a link below. I always put everything in the show notes. It's always there. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the uh, on the Instagram and the website at the very bottom, there's our Indiegogo. And please go on there and support that. We have awesome, really cool prizes. We've got um, a support your local weed man t-shirt. We've got a uh, uh, ECC Excons for Community Engagement T-shirt. We've got three different books that are written by local uh, Chicago people. One is a, a finance book called "Get Your Shit Together." It's really great. I read it. The other one is by Erica Porter, and she's a film producer that is a good friend of mine. It's about her story growing up in the projects, basically. And then the other one is written by uh, Tyrone Muhammad, who runs ECCSC, and it's about the 13 different characteristics of someone who is incarcerated. Um, It's kind of like character analysis, along with some of a little bit about his story, so... Yeah, please support the Indiegogo so that we can get this this film, this feature made super fast and we can get it out to as many people as possible. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.